we are looking in, in the book of Acts. We, a couple weeks ago, we uh, looked in, in chapter 1 and in, in chapter 2, uh, which kind of tells the storyline of, it doesn't kind of, it tells the storyline this, this of after Christ's resurrection, what happened with his disciples and what they did uh, at, at that moment and what Jesus told them to do. Um, in Acts 1, that he, he appeared so many times uh, to over 500 people in, in about 40 days, Jesus appeared and he gave, the last meeting with his disciples, he gave them instructions to wait in Jerusalem for him, for, for something, that the Holy Spirit was coming and that's the time that we know of Pentecost and they were empowered, the Holy Spirit came uh, into this place and, and just amazing stuff started happening and, and um, Peter began to gain authority and speak out and, and we, what, we, what we see is the very beginning of the early church that, um, that we actually experience today, um, 2,000 years later, the, I don't want to call it the remnant of that, but the fruit of that, the thing that started with, with uh, about 120 people at the very beginning, and then at the very, the, that first sermon, 3,000 people came into faith, and this thing that continued to spread started in, in this moment. And so we're looking in, in the book of Acts because we're seeing, I think a lot of times we look back on this and we say, okay, so what is this supposed to look like? And what is this supposed to feel like? And then what, if people from the outside are looking at who we are, what are they supposed to see? How is that supposed to impact them? And what, what is the role we play in our, in our, in our, in our cities, in our culture, and in our, in our, in our, and in our world? And so we, often we look back at that early church and we say, well, this is what it's supposed to look like so that we can honor more what Jesus had in mind at the very beginning. But, Many times what we do is we start looking for a thing or an institution or a checklist of things that we need to start doing in order to look more like that. And the more we look into the experiences and the story of what's happening in, in this early church, the more we find the people and, and the stories of people. And we see that what happened was a result of what God was doing in the lives of individuals. Not a bunch of individuals trying to just make something happen. It was something happening in those people in which the church began to rise and continues to um, today. And so as we look at this, at this scripture, I want to encourage you to find the people. I want to encourage you to find the story. And I want to encourage you to find yourself in that story. I think that's one of the best ways for us to find what what God is speaking to us in as we look at, at any uh, specific scripture. And you know, this, this is the thing that continues to happen today. I, as we as a church began just trying to serve in our city and, and be, learn to be better neighbors and to learn to, to reach out and, and to serve those in need. And you know, many times it can become so mechanical until you meet someone and hear their story. Until you see a person who's a part of a, of a group of people and you learn their name and you, you hear the experiences that got to them to the place where they are and you see where God is intersecting your lives together and you begin to experience and feel more compassion and, and God begins to move in your own heart. I think if we were to look at scripture sometimes in that way, we would find um, some powerful things happening. And so... I want to start in Acts chapter 3 today uh, with verse 1. This is a story that um, I can't get away from um, because, and the funny thing is that I wanted to, I wanted to skip over this story because um, if we just focus on what happens, 
uh, many times we get distracted from what is happening in the lives of the people. But as I wrestled with this, this is why I keep going back to who are the people in this story and what is God doing in their lives. So as we read this, um, think about who the people are and maybe what God is doing. Verse 1, one day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. So this was after Pentecost. This was after this first sermon. This was after so many people came to faith. And this is the very beginning of this thing. And so they didn't just hang out, you know, in a small group the whole time and enjoy that fellowship that Acts 2 talked about, which was so beautiful. It says they, they were going to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. And Peter looked straight at him, as, as did John. And then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have. But what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Let's pray. Well, Father, I have to admit that when I read a story like this, I, I crave experiencing this. I'm, I'm, um, I, I find myself wanting to be a part of something that obviously supernatural. I find myself a little overwhelmed at the story and a little underwhelmed at times with my own journey. I just pray as we look into this storyline that you would... Um, help us to find your, your truth. Help us to respond and to personalize this, that we might honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's have a conversation for a moment. Um, we'll draw back on everything we've been talking about for several years, eight years, <laughs> um, in this moment. And remember, there are no wrong answers uh, well, there are wrong answers. There are no dumb answers. Well, there are dumb answers too. Um, I'm just kidding. Let's start with this idea of the gospel. What is the gospel? What is this gospel? Jesus taught this gospel, right? What's the, what's the two words we usually use that the gospel means what? Good news, right? So Jesus taught about this good news of the what? Of the kingdom. Um, what is the good news of the kingdom? How would you describe it? Maybe give me a word or a sentence that would describe it because it's huge, right? So what is the gospel? It's redemption. What else? Pardon me? It's open. It's inclusive. What else? Huh? It's freedom. The gospel is freedom. What else? Pardon me? Grace. Gospel is grace. What else? It's restoration. It, it's, did you say mind-altering? Oh, that's good. The gospel is a relationship. 
What else? And what does the gospel do? Where does the gospel start its work and what does it do? Some of the answers were already given in that, but what is specifically, how does it, how does it, what does it do? Okay. All those things, for sure. Salvation, where really we are at, you use justification of the word. The word justification is that we are justified before God in, in which we are declared because of the gospel when we receive the good news of Christ of being the one, the Messiah, and especially in this context, when we receive the, the, the reality that Jesus is the Messiah, the one that they were waiting on, he is the mediator between man and God, the person Jesus Christ. When we recognize that and we confess that, we are justified, that we're justification before God, and we are declared what? Innocent. We are declared righteous. So the gospel's work in us, Right? declares us innocent from all of our shortcomings and all of our inabilities, and we are, we are, we are justified before God. It's so strange. We are justified before a holy God, not because of ourselves, but the good news is, is someone else, Jesus, did it for us. That's what the cross is about, right? So we are declared innocent. We are justified, and we are justified in a moment. Whether we, does it, whether we, are, whether we feel justified right? We are declared justified in a moment. How does this, how is this supposed to impact our identity? Awesome. So what Christy said is that, that in scriptures, it, it tells us that when we, are, when we are justified before God, we are, we are heirs to the throne. Like we are, we become Sons and daughters of the king. We are heirs. We, we will inherit all that comes from the father one day. So because of that, if we are sons and daughters of the king, how should that and how can that impact, how does that inform our, our identity? Maybe say, maybe think of it in this way. It used to be this, but now it is this. Okay, so if our shame is covered, we don't have to pretend anymore. So we can be, uh, we can be more honest. We can be more vulnerable because we know that that uh, there is no condemnation in Christ. Right? That's scripture as well. What else? Okay, so that we can stop thinking temporarily and and what's just right here, and we can think more kingdom or more eternally. Um. Understanding that things have an impact far beyond what we what we just see. What else? Okay, so we can see ourselves as a new person. We can see ourselves as a new person. How hard is that? Pretty tough, right? Okay, from striving to belonging. I like behaving, behaving to belonging or behaving to becoming. Different perspective, you know. So the gospel changes our identity. And we are no longer 
literally, the, what, the, what the theology of all this is, is that when sin came into the world, we are under the sin of Adam, right? And then what the Bible tells us is because Jesus came with the new covenant, when we confess him, we are no longer under him, but now we are under Christ, all right? Not sinful man, but under now, now we become sons and daughters of the king. And we can, we spend our life, I think, as believers, struggling with really believing this new identity, and trusting in this new identity, that, that God views us a certain way as justified and innocent and pure and loving and worthy of his mercy and all of this stuff, that we can really believe that so that we can live out of that, right? This is the, this is the struggle. Whenever I am struggling, which is often, with doubt or fear or sin or whatever it is, 100% of the time it is because I am living out of my humanity instead of my identity in Christ. And I'm not living, living, truly believing that that good news I have a, is real. I have a friend that says we don't live the gospel. And the areas we don't live the gospel is because we don't believe the gospel. If we were truly to believe, then we would live it more because we would have fully embraced it. So that's our journey. Does anybody know what that process is called? Sanctification, where we are being made holy. The gospel declares us holy and declares us in it. We are justified before God. But then there is this process in us that I think is, is all our life in which we are sharpened, in which experiences us, draws us closer to God, that, that through Bible study we become more and more uh, aware of, of how we are to live and how we are to respond and how we are to find ourselves and, and to be more confident in our identity as sons and daughters. And so this process literally, it means being made perfect. Right, But we're in this process. And one of the things I just love is being around a group of believers who understand that journey. Instead of thinking we have arrived, you know, we have, we have arrived and we have gotten to this place and everyone else, one day you can be as good as me. Instead, we recognize that we're all on this journey together, right? Some people may be further along that timeline, but we're all on this journey becoming who God is making us. So this is the gospel at work in us, right? Where we are declared innocent, we are justified, and that then there is a process happening of being made perfect as well. As that is happening, is that the complete work of the gospel? The gospel in you and in me, is that the complete work of the gospel as we are, are we, uh, as we are justified and we are becoming all that God wants us to be, is that the full work of the gospel? What else is there? Sharing it, descending it, the redemption of everything. So there's a point, there is a point in which the gospel is working in us and continues to work in us. And there is a point in which then that same gospel starts to work through us. And I think this is the place of what we're seeing in the New Testament. I think this is this transition that the disciples are 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 beginning to live out that they have walked with Christ. They have experienced what he was teaching and what that he had seen and all the things that they were put through because of who he was. And then they had this moment of transformation, which, I mean, they, they got it big, right? I mean, they got to see the whole, they got to see it firsthand. They got to experience and see Jesus after his resurrection. They got to experience Pentecost where the Holy Spirit came in in this incredibly tangible way. 
And it was this, this moment in their life in which the gospel, as it was working, was working in them, and then the gospel began to work through them. And a lot of times we use that, the, the, the wording that the gospel then, um, that it, it comes out of the overflow of what's happening in our lives. I think that's part of it. But there is a point, I believe with all my heart, as we're looking at this, that the gospel, the reason it's working in us is to do all this in us so that it then can work through us. The good news of the kingdom, because then that fruit happens, and then we begin to see all that you and I are hoping for that the church would be. The community we crave, the, the relationships that we need, the strength we wish we had. Um, it's the fruit of the gospel working in us. Not us trying to set up all the bowling pins and knock them down, the bowling pins of, of religion or whatever it is. And knock them down so that we could get to this place. It's this inward thing that is happening in us. And then the whole storyline, I think Jason said it, is that then all of creation is being restored. And one day will be. That there's this huge story that we find ourselves right in the middle of. The gospel works in us and through us. So we know that in us, we are being saved, we're being transformed, we are being made new. And in that, we are finding a new identity and a new confidence. And then together, we experience this new community that then ends up the gospel working through that. And, and I believe with all my heart, the gospel works through us individually. But I believe with all my heart, scripture, story after story, that, that the gospel works through us collectively more powerfully than it does individually. I think too many times, and I've said this before, that, that someone, a believer, will go out and do something and just go, you know, forget the church. I'm just going to do this myself. And people go, man, you're awesome. I wish the church was more like you. But every time we see a group of people coming together for the sake of the gospel, doing God's work, people then assign glory to God instead of the individual. Through mission and through seeking justice. I think this is what's happening uh, in Acts so I want to give you just three, three thoughts from the beginning of Acts as we think about this transition. And I hopefully you're still thinking about the storyline and the people that are in the story because we, we'll, we'll come back to this. The first one is a reminder from, from Acts 2 that we taught. Um, is that we remain powerless when we redefine our actions without repositioning our hearts and minds. There is an order that the gospel works in us personally first, instead of out, outwardly, right? First, it happens in us, and we believe it, and we receive it, and then, that, then the gospel begins to, to work through us and outwardly. We talked about this uh, a couple weeks ago, um, that in this uh, conversion experience, that the disciples saw three things happening in, 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 in the early church. First was a, was a surrender, a true surrender, that word meant concede, to relinquish, to entrust that he was the Messiah. To the surrender that, to surrender us trying to, to climb the ladder and achieve it for the wrong reasons. The second one was an empowerment of the Spirit. The Spirit came in at Pentecost. The Spirit came in and empowered, led by the Holy Spirit, even sometimes in uncomfortable places. But there's a surrender, and then there's an empowerment, and then there's a freedom. Someone mentioned freedom. The freedom that comes from truly finding our identity in Christ. That we are in this constant battle, wrestling for the true us in Christ. Um, 
But before that freedom comes, there, come, there has to be this surrender and this, this seeking of the, in the spirit empowerment. That it's not repositioning all the things that we're doing or redefining our action, but it's repositioning our hearts and our minds towards that. That's the first thing. And I think Acts 3 picks up with what happens when the gospel then takes root. And that is, number two, that there's a tangible moment when the gospel that worked in them began to work through them. And I just wonder if one of Satan's greatest strategies is to keep us from ever not making it about us. Like if he could keep us always struggling with our confidence and our identity and am I really saved or am I not? Should I get baptized or should I not? Should I go to church or should I not? Do I do? If we're so, the gospel for us, and we're so consumed with that, is there ever a place in which we go, this isn't just for me? And maybe that's why I'm not experiencing the freedom and the fullness in this life that Christ said would come. That there was a moment when that gospel that worked in them began to work through them. There, with that came a new power and a new authority, a new confidence, because I think he, they truly embraced this new identity. We think about Peter specifically, his story. Before the cross, think about the denial that he had, how embarrassing that probably was and how confusing that was. And then for, for Jesus to come and to restore him, And do you remember how Jesus restored Peter? He asked him simply, do you love love me? He asked him three times in three different ways, do you love me? And, And in each way, he would say, Jesus, you know I do. And then he would tell him to do something. He would say, feed my sheep, take care of my lambs. Each time he restored him and said, prove your love for me, it was by allowing the gospel to go out from him. To others. There was a tangible moment when the gospel that worked in them began to work through them. So let's take back on this story. Who are the people? Who are the players in this story that we just read? You remember the story? Who are the who are the different characters? Huh? John and Peter. And then the gate. The beautiful, the beautiful, the gate known as beautiful. I guess there was a player, not a person, but a player. Who else? Huh? The beggar. Who else? The crowd's watching. Who else? I saw one more group of people. The one that carried him there. Um... You don't have to say it out loud. Who do you identify the most with in that story? If you were to think about your spiritual journey, where you are right now, or where you tend to return to, who are you? Where are you? Who are you? I love the different characters in the story because you look at this, the disciples, first of all, Peter and John, you know what they did? They just showed up. After this incredible experience they had with Christ, with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost and all this going on with this new church, they returned, they returned to this place, um, to the temple at time of prayer. They went, they didn't just throw it all out. They didn't just start over and say, all of that's not worth anything. We found the new, we found this awesome new thing. They went, they returned 
And they went back at the time of prayer and, and they showed up. They didn't neglect their spiritual traditions or, or the culture of that time. I think what's beautiful also about them is the work they did, they represented Jesus. It was very clear um, that they weren't working to please Jesus or to earn their spot. I think they were really, truly living in freedom. I think they went back with this new confidence, knowing Jesus was truly the Messiah. They had seen him. And that they trusted when he said, I'm giving you all authority, that they believed it. And they believed that he was with them. How do you know they believed that? You ever had a moment when you just felt like God was telling you to do something, but you just chickened out? Like say something to someone or do something, but you just kind of either chickened out or were too busy to do it in that moment. You know, happens to me all the time. I'm like, God, I'm not going to say that to them because what if they look at me and go, hmm, that's really weird, you know? Um, could you imagine what it was like? I mean, Peter looked at him and said, no, nope, but stand. That was not the Peter we have known. Something happened to him because he trusted and knew truly. Now, this scripture's hard for me because I don't, I don't, I don't, there's a lot of people that claim they understand healing and what's going on in, with gifts and stuff like that and today. A lot of people believe that the gifts that happened in that time were, were, are done. Um, I, I just don't doubt how God can work. I think he could do miraculous things and, and I don't know how that happens. So I don't know how to explain that away. I don't know how to explain away why that doesn't happen more, that we don't get to experience that more physically. But I think something spiritual and something personal was happening in this, that maybe was greater than a physical thing. So you had the disciples and they showed up. You had this, this man at the gates whose scripture says that he was there and he was there all the time and he, they kept carrying him there and he was in this place and he was healed because of his faith. And we know that because he didn't give credit to the man. He didn't praise Peter. He praised God. The Bible says he gave, he assigned glory to God. He praised God in this moment. So something was going on there where everyone knew that it was bigger than the people or the person or the thing. It was bigger than the leader on the stage. It was bigger than, 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 the, than the church that they were gathering. And there's a huge difference. And then there were those in the crowds. Maybe those in the crowds included those who carried him to the gate as well. And verse 10 says that they were filled with wonder and they were filled with amazement as, as well. That their response was to give glory to God. So in this moment, you have the disciples who are fresh and empowered. They have this new identity. They're trying to go out there and allow the gospel to work through them. And so they're trying to trust and they're trying to respond. Then you have this man at the gate who is in great need. And we don't know the suffering he's gone through in his life. We don't know where he is necessarily spiritually in that moment. But we know he's in great need to the point in which he is begging for it. I think about that a lot of times when we, when we serve people. And they're like, well, how do you know what they're going to do with that? And I'm like, you know what? If someone, if they're to the point where they have to beg you for something, they're at a place that maybe we can't comprehend. And then there are those who were there just seeking some, something spiritual, including those who carried, who were serving him and carrying him. I don't know when I, I don't think the scripture actually says this, but I, in my brain, it's the same people every day. I don't know why. It just feels like there's a group of people serving this man constantly. 
And they're all in this moment together. They all come from different backgrounds, different stages in life, different places in their faith. But what happens is all together, everyone, were, they were filled with wonder and amazement and they worshiped God because of what was going on. And Peter began to address the crowd. And he's teaching in this moment when they were seeking or when they were seeing God's movement. And here was what he said. He said, repent and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Now, whenever I've read that scripture before, when I hear the word repent, I want to go, hmm. It's like like a mean word, repent. What do I need to do? Just repent, you know? And then I expect you to throw something at me. I just, it's a tough word. You know, I've, I've, I've always been raised hearing that the word repent means to turn around, to turn away from our sin, to live a new life. But the word repent very specifically means to change your mind or your purpose. To change. To change your mind about something. From what? What do you think it is that we need to change? Our, we're thinking about the gospel working in us and our identity and all of this stuff that Jesus is trying to do in our lives. What is it that we need to, if we already believe that he's the Messiah, what do we need to change our mind or from what? Does anything come to mind? That thinking God is against us. What else? Yeah, it's from self-sufficiency. What else? I think this is a permission. I think to repent is a permission to leave behind the things that rob our identity. I think it's a freedom word. It's to say, it's to call it out and say, no, that stuff, that's a lie. It's destructive and it ruins relationships and it keeps you out of the game. To repent and turn to God, that phrase actually is is, is the word to return. So that your sins, your failures may be wiped out. That word wiped out means literally obliterated, erased. Here's, here's, the, um, here's the third thought, and I'll close with this. And I was just praying over this. Go, God, what's the, what's the common... What's the common thing for each person, for each player in this thing? No matter what, they're all in the same bucket now. They're all, they're all sensing God's movement. They're all feeling called out a little bit. And they're all in different places. What is the truth we need to take away from this? And here's the thing I just want to leave you with. Regardless of who you are and where you are, may you remember that refreshment is from the Lord. It says, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. That times of refreshing may come from the Lord. That word refresh from what I could see, in that, in that way is used only in this, in this passage, in the whole Bible, used in this way. And it literally means to recover breath. To refresh, to revive, to comfort. And I think it's important for us to remember and see it's that when God moves, refreshment follows. And the question is begged, are we positioned for God to move? We desire his refreshment in our families, in our, in our social life, in our relationships, and in our church. Are we positioning ourselves because of the gospel in a place where God is 
is moving or can move. And here's what I believe with all my heart. What he started 2,000 years ago, he's not done with. And that he's going to see it out in you and in us. Here's, here's the thing. Regardless of where you are, who you are, where you've been, God is for you. He is not against you. Whatever you are struggling with, whatever you are wrestling with, you are not alone. God is with you. He is for you. And he wants his absolute best for you. At every space, in every place, no matter the challenge, no matter the darkness, he is for you and he is with you. Paul wrote about the spirit in Romans 8 and a life in the spirit. And here's what he wrote. He says, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Is it God who justifies? Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, nor neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Father, each one of us, and you know this, we need healing in different ways. We need your presence. We need your spirit. We need a firm. We need a reminder that you are with us, that you love us. When we're trying to lead out, when we're trying to respond like Peter and trying to be the, the man or woman of God you're calling us to be, and you're telling us to tell someone to stand and walk and we're scared to death. God, we don't know what to do. Would you give us strength? Would you give us obedience? Would you give us confidence? Would you give us the desire to follow you? God, some of us spiritually, emotionally, we haven't walked for a long time. And we need a fresh wind. We need refreshment. And some have just been serving and pouring ourselves out for others. And we need the same. We recognize, God, that in an environment and in a place where we are all worshiping you and we are all praising you, that each one in that room, each one in that space, when we change our mind about who we are and who you are and we receive what you have, that refreshment comes from you. So my prayer this morning, God, is that you would refresh each person in this room. That you would give them fresh breath. That you would give them a renewed spirit, a renewed hope. And that you would give them victory. That you would help them experience victory in you, confidence, knowing that you are there, that your presence is there. That they would gain more and more confidence in you and continue to live. And God, would you show us as a body 
how to serve one another in a way that leads it towards this kind of encouragement. And then we would rally together, seeking your presence and seeking your good. God, would you just encourage and refresh and renew? We know that your gospel doesn't just save, it doesn't just transform, but it makes all things new. We're asking for freshness and we're asking for a new day. In Jesus' name, amen.